0: Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions.
1: What does it mean when a company's share price falls to cheap prices and executive insiders don't buy more? My question is, how much of your portfolio should you put into like ETFs and mutual funds? I had a question about Dutch Bros. It's going to
2: be a new IPO.
1: And
0: provides unbiased answers.
2: I think the bet on the raw materials that go into electric cars are going to be far better than the electric car producers.
0: Invest Talk. Across America and around the world, your participation makes it unique. 88899
3: chart This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President, KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's
2: podcast. Good afternoon fellow investors and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, February 9th, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I am here ready, ready to answer your finance and investment questions. And we all know at some point in life you'll realize that when it comes to building a solid financial plan over the long term, you have to apply the right strategy and discipline. If you can apply the right strategy and discipline towards that correct strategy, you will be successful. So that's what Steve and I try to do on this show, which is always navigate you through volatile and unpredictable times and help you develop and execute on a strategy that will work. And while we've experienced some volatility of a late, that can unnerve some people. But if you are smart about it, it can also create a lot of opportunity as well. Now, of course, I'm here to answer your specific directed questions. And if you want your question answered, just give me a call. I enjoy it. I love it. I love doing it and helping you take that next step. In your own version of financial freedom, and so I encourage you to reach out to me during our live stream program, four to five Pacific time, or on our anytime voice bank, eight 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 ninety nine chart. Either way, that number never changes. And when you ask those questions, I'm going to give you my unbiased answer using my twenty plus years of investment experience and the data that I have in front of me. I have a lot of data lot of information that we use for building portfolios for clients. And I'm um, using that same information. Obviously, I'm doing a quick quick dive, not a deep dive, but uh, I'm doing enough to give you a sense of where to look, what to consider when looking at particular investments, and hopefully bring broad questions as well about the market, the economy, investment philosophy, etc. I love those questions as well. So once again, give me a call. 888 chart is the number to reach out and get your questions answered. So let's get right to our first listener question now.
1: Hello, I'm Richard from Canada. I have a question about pipeline companies. They
0: seem to have very good dividends and increase the dividends year on year, but their payout
1: ratio seems very high. I wonder if you could explain this, whether it's just an accounting anomaly or whether there's something to be concerned about. Thank you very much. Appreciate the program. I've learned a lot from it. Bye-bye.
2: All right, asking about pipeline companies, and you pretty much hit on it right at the end. You're saying, is that something related to accounting? And that's absolutely true, and this is a good example of while earnings per share is a, a solid metric to, to be looking at, it's by no means the end-all, be-all, which also means P ratios are uh, can be skewed based on accounting uh, accounting. Potentially gimmicks, just the nature of a particular industry. Now, what he's asking about is the pipeline industry. So companies that own pipelines to move oil, natural gas, other types of commodities uh, around the country, around the world. And if you look at, uh, so I'm going to bring up one of the largest is uh, Williams Company, for example. And their dividend yield is about 5.3%. And the payout ratio, though, is 195%. And that sounds like that's too high, right? That, that anything over 100 means they're paying out well above their earnings per share in their dividend. And typically, that is unsustainable. But once again, that's using the earnings per share. Now, part of the earnings per share backed out of earnings was called depreciation. And for tax purposes... These companies are depreciating their assets, and guess what? They're very capital-intensive businesses. They have to build and maintain long, long, you know, miles and miles of pipeline in order to deliver. And if there's leaks and, and uh, you know, there, there's issues with those pipelines, then they don't earn their money. So there's a lot of upkeep there and a lot of depreciation of the assets they do have in place. And so what you really want to focus on is cash flow. And that's why we, we use a metric called cash dividend payout ratio, which is looking at the cash flow, the amount of dividends they're paying out in relation to their cash flow, not their earnings per share. Because ultimately, that dividend is paid from cash, not necessarily earnings. Okay. So Williams Company, for example, that cash dividend pay ratio is 74.5%, which is a lot lower than the 195% payout ratio. And that means that their dividend is sustainable in that sense. So you kind of were along the lines of answering your own question, and hopefully that gave you the uh, more broad answer of what that actually means. And I like that you're looking at that. uh, But once again, you always have to look at Uh, and understand these numbers in context, especially to the industry that they're in because every industry has its own quirks and, and, uh, and aspects that you really, really need to get familiar with and understand to get the full picture of the business. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. The US trade deficit reached a record level in 2021 and we're going to go over those numbers and I'm going to give you what I expect for 2022 as well. I also want to touch on some commentary from CEOs during this earnings season and I'm going to highlight a lot of very large companies from Starbucks to AMD, to Sony, GM, Ford, etc. and what theme you can gather from some of their major comments. Also, prices are changing not just more, meaning from a magnitude perspective, but more often as well, and more and more companies, not just online companies, are adopting dynamic pricing and what that could mean for your pocketbook and, and just the prices you see around in the economy. And then lastly, we're going to go over ESG and how ESG investing can actually be detrimental to your financial health uh, and Not really have much uh, climate impact either because of the the lack of standards. So we're going to look at that as well. Now let's take a look at the market today. We had a a pretty robust day in the market. The S&P was up 65 points, about a percent and a half closed, kind of near the highs, the NYSE the more broad indices that was down up a 216 points, about one and a third percent there. And the NASDAQ that had uh, probably the best day of the major indices that was up nearly 300 points, a little over two percent. And we're, we're back up into the levels we saw middle of last week, and so probably short term resistance. But I do think in the next two, four, six, maybe eight weeks you're going to see some upside in in the market. And a lot of this has to do with, guess what? Omicron, as I've been saying for uh, really six weeks, four weeks, or sorry, six to eight weeks now, is likely the bridge to COVID being endemic and more and more countries lifting their restrictions. You're seeing that in more and more countries over in Europe. And now many of uh, many states, including very blue states are lifting their mask mandates. New York, California, I think California here, it's uh, the 15th are lifting it. And so it's just that is showing uh, that, like I've said before, that this is uh, less virulent and means less restrictions, more economic activity. And uh, I think there's there's at least a short-term trade. Now, what does that look like going into the second quarter and into the uh, the middle of the year? I think that may be another story once that kind of wears off and the stimulus packages from last year fully wake, w- w- wear off and we have a, kind of a fiscal cliff. Uh, I, don't, I don't like calling it a cliff, a, cl- a fiscal decline in stimulus. And that could have uh, impact more towards the middle of the year, but at least near term, likely more upside in the markets. Now we're heading into a break now. And I'm here. And happy ready to answer your questions at 888-99-CHART. chart.
0: What is a charitable remainder trust? A CRT? What are the biggest downsides or drawbacks to a CRT? Learn the answers to these questions and many more in a special interview this Thursday, February 10th on Invest Talk.
1: Hi, Steven, Justin. It's Mike from Sacramento. Hey, I was looking for your fair value on DPZ, it's Domino's Pizza. I have a friend that has a long time investment in Domino's and over the last year, it's made a really good return on that investment. However, because of the current market environment and or tailwinds due to COVID, trying to figure out if it would be a good time to take profit or just continue to hold. Thanks guys, bye.
2: All right, looking at Domino's Pizza, uh, operated about 17,600 pizza delivery stores, over 90 markets around the world, $16 billion market cap, and it has been a, a steady grower, $2.90 in earnings in 2014, and every single year they've increased their earnings. Uh, this year is expected to be $15.32, $13.65 last year. But those earnings ex- expectations for this year are coming down. And over that time, 2014, they were trading an enterprise value to EBITDA about uh, in, the, in the low teens. And now it's up into the low, low 20s. So part of it is earnings going up for having the, that, that big return over the last decade or so. But also it's multiple multiple uh, uh, expansion. And as of late, with this chart com- or the price coming down, that multiple expansion has certainly uh, come down a bit. From a high of 20, 20, about 29 times enterprise value EBITDA to 23 and change now. So certainly much cheaper than it was, but the technicals are very poor. Look at the market bounce and this is not bouncing at all. It's just kind of consolidating still below its 20 day moving average. So from a technical perspective, definitely, definitely very weak. And you have now over the past year, the uh, relative strength is about 50. Meaning it's no longer outperforming the overall market, and certainly those COVID tailwinds that propelled its earnings from nine dollars and fifty cents in 2019 to twelve dollars and a penny in 2020, and maintained that momentum through through last year, uh, that's waning. And you see that with revenue growth last quarter, only three percent revenue growth, which it brings you back to basically pre-pandemic levels. And earnings growth was still 30 percent. That's nice, but. Uh, just wage inflation and uh, as more and more restaurants open up, as uh, restrictions open up, uh, there's going to be, uh, I think, incrementally less demand for uh, delivery, you know, pizza delivery. And so while it's still a good business, I think the multiples are too high for a company who's probably going to start to have revenue growth back in the mid-single digits like it was pre-pandemic. Maybe even go negative when you start comping from last year. Last year, revenue growth was uh, about 18% for uh, most of the year. So that's gonna, those are going to be tough comps, and you're probably going to comp negative at some point. And those multiples are going to have to come down. And so even if you go based on this year's earnings of $15 per share, that's trading still at about 30 times earnings for something that's growing mid single digits revenue. Just, just way too high there. So I like the business, but I don't like the valuation, and I really don't like the technicals and, and the lack of ability to bounce here. So uh, I, I would expect this to come back in, probably drop well below four hundred dollars, back around three hundred. I think this is where it gets, uh, gets, it's interesting. But so this is a time, a good time to be unloading some of the shares, even though you've had a uh, great gains or your friend has had great gains. I do think it's a time to cut back. Now we're moving through the first quarter of 2022. At a good clip and We will soon hit the halfway point and our Invest Talk phone lines are open and I'm ready to speak with you. 8899 chart. Each day,
0: Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes, and be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments.
2: Now, my focus point today is the behind, story behind this headline. The U.S. trade deficit reached a record level in 2021, and it was up 27% last year, year over year, to an all-time high of $859 billion and the trade gap represents 3.7% of gdp that's up from 3.2% in 2020 now the goods deficit is really what shot up 18.3% to 1.1 trillion dollars and imports of goods hit an all-time high 1.8 trillion and this is part of that that trend pre-pandemic consumer spending was about 31%, the goods were 31% of consumer spending pre-pandemic went up to 36% as of I believe it was March of this year. And it's tempered back down to 34% in December, but that's still 10, 15% higher than pre-pandemic levels. And that's where you're getting this huge trade deficit. And there the big drivers were imports of industrial supplies and materials. And those were the highest levels since 2014. Now, we had record imports from 70 countries last year, led by Mexico, Canada, and Germany. So not necessarily China, but a lot of other countries. Now, good exports, they were also up. To 23 up 23.3 percent to 1.8 trillion led by industrial supplies materials food consumer goods petroleum those were uh, the highest on record we we had the record exports to 57 different countries last year so our export market was was still very good despite a stronger dollar typically a stronger dollar is not good for uh exports makes them less competitive but we still had. Uh, record exports. And you can just see the amount of demand around the world. It's not just here in the U S now shipments to China rose 151 billion South Korea increased 65.8 billion. so it was, it was really interesting to see that it was just a very robust time for earnings and businesses. Now this is very backwards looking. And what I will say is I think there's a very, very, very high chance that our trade deficit actually narrows this year for the first time in many years. Because, like I said before, goods spending is likely to trend back towards 31%. It might even go back below that because so many, I mean, how many, TVs can you buy and refrigerators and, and, and furniture and all the things that go into your home, which people were, were purchasing at, at a rapid clip, uh, computers, things like that. And that's going to uh, likely moderate this year. And inventory, inventory is near records. That was a big part of uh, the GDP figure in the fourth quarter was inventory builds. Why? Because I, I have friends that have businesses that, uh, that uh, produce goods and they were having trouble getting it here. In the fourth quarter, and so they had to order extra because it was sitting on ships out in uh, in the Pacific Ocean waiting to be unloaded. There's still some out there, and they finally get those in along with the extra inventory that they had ordered. And that's another reason why inflation is so high just excess, uh, at least short-term inventory building. Uh, but those th- those likely gonna have sales going on uh, to to unload some of that inventory through the first half of this year. And so I don't think that you're going to see that repeat in 2022. And we'll see what that trend looks like. We'll, uh, we'll circle back on this, uh, I guess, a year from now. Now, when people take the time to leave an Talk podcast review on iTunes, we like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. So here are some questions from iTunes reviewers. Odesimo says, I bought four shares of Airbnb back in November 2019 at 190. Stock has steadily declined and now is at 154. Let's see where it actually is today. 169. okay, so it's a bit up bit from uh, when he left this question. I bought some on the way down to dollar cost average. I'm curious if you think I should sell now and accept the loss or should I hold and wait for brighter days? Well, Airbnb, great franchise, but they're also trading at very high multiples. And you know my thoughts on high multiple stocks. Uh, they're likely to to struggle, even though Airbnb is in the heart of the rebound in leisure, where most of the people using Airbnb are our leisure travelers, and that remains relatively robust. I like that their uh, geographical reach is not just here in the US 53% North America, 30% Europe, Middle East, Africa, 10% Asia Pacific, 7% Latin America. So I like the diversity there. So I like Airbnb kind of longer term but the issue is just uh, in the i say medium term Uh, as interest rates continue to rise these type of companies are going to continue to struggle enterprise value to is 52 times Now it's come down from a nice whopping 81 back in November, but I think there's just uh, more downside to come. Uh, I wanna see this in the 20s, enterprise value EBITDA, and then it would be interesting. It's at 52 today. So I would use this bounce to sell or unload, keep it on your watch list, and wait for it to get back to a reasonable valuation. And I still think that's probably 50% lower than where it is today. Now in the next and best talk, the story behind this headline, the supply chain should benefit as chip makers Crank up spending with microchip shortages affecting the supply chain. The big chip makers plan to spend billions of dollars to meet semiconductor demand. For now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at eight 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 ninety nine chart eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust
0: This is Invest Talk, and it sure seems like the new year is moving fast. Soon, we'll be halfway through the first quarter. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to answer your finance and investment questions. Call Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart.
1: Good afternoon. This is Sean in West Virginia. I had a question about REITs. I was listening to a previous episode when Justin was speaking about real estate, especially in large cities where these property management, we were giving huge discounts to these big popular names, these companies to get them into those spaces, 18 months, no rent, uh, massive renovations for them to get them into that space. I have two REITs in my portfolio, both in healthcare, both have done well so far. I was researching some other ones that specifically cater to these bigger cities don't seem to be doing as well. Uh, I wonder if perhaps you could speak to that, perhaps another sector that, that REITs serve that would be better to look at, uh, financial energy sector if they exist, REITs exist in those. And then REITs in general, in this climate, uh, would it perhaps be better to exercise some caution, hold back, and to see how real estate does through the year? and revisit it later, perhaps. Thank you so much. I love you guys. Fantastic information, fantastic advice uh, and guidance. Look for my answer on the podcast. Thank you.
2: Well, thank you for the kind words at the end. And I'll start off with uh, what you said at the beginning, and you kind of uh, hit on the fact that those REITs that are focused on the big cities and offices in the big cities, those REITs are, are struggling, and as they should be, because of what I, what I talked about is that they're having to give huge concessions. People are moving out of these big city centers and into the suburbs as they're working more and more remote, and the demand and need for these uh, these offices in big cities are, are, are dwindling, at least in the, the, the medium term. Uh, now, what? How long lasting will that be? Will there be eventually a rush back to the big cities at some point? Uh, yeah, probably. But in the, I think in the medium term, you're going to continue to see this trickle out of, uh, out of the big cities and, and those REITs are, are likely to struggle. Now, you also highlighted how REITs can the, the REITs aren't just REITs. There are different types of REITs that are out there, a lot of different types of REITs. Uh, you hit on office REITs and medical REITs, but there also are industrial REITs, those that own warehouses, for example. And so with the COVID Uh, With with the shutdown and everybody ordering online, the the demand for warehouse space skyrocketed. And so those have done well of late. Now, I think there's going to be some near-term headwinds for that. But ultimately, uh, this is a good place to be, I think, longer term. Uh, There there are also your retail REITs. And I think those are more bifurcated from uh, those companies that have good good properties and those uh, that don't. And so it's just really about p- picking the, not just the area of the REIT space that you want to be in, but the best of breed, those that have the best, best assets and the best management team as well. Now, now longer term, REITs are good, especially in an inflationary environment, because if you have good assets, you're able to up your rents consistently and keep up with inflation. And that means more payouts for shareholders, which means higher stock price etc. And that is typically and then the underlying asset they own is going up as well in that inflationary environment. So typically REITs are good. Now near term, if you get a big rush up in interest rates, that can be negative for REITs in the short, short term, because remember, these are income generating vehicles. And so when the uh, interest rate on other types of fixed income start to go up like treasuries, which you've seen of late, REITs can can get uh, short term setbacks. But Usually those are, are very short term and not a whole lot to to really worry about. And you're starting to see this as of late. If you look at like the IYR, that has pulled back since the beginning of the year because of those higher rates. But now it's starting to recover as we haven't really broken out in the 10-year above 2%. So there are some short-term interest rate. Uh, aspects that you have to consider. And hopefully that answer, I know you talked about a lot. I talked about a lot. Hopefully I answered all of your questions. So thanks for the call and great question. Hopefully that uh, taught a lot of people a little bit more about the REIT space. And remember, REITs, your income in a in a non-tax-deferred account like an IRA, or a 401k, etc. it's taxed at your ordinary income tax rate. Always remember that when you're looking at these REITs. Now what I want to pivot to is some commentary from big CEOs on their earnings calls, and they've addressed many parts of the economy from inflation, supply chain issues, consumer spending, and ongoing pandemic restrictions. And so I want to highlight a few comments from them. Number one, Starbucks CEO Kevin Johnson said, supply chain driven inflationary costs are unexpectedly amplified by Omicron and rapidly accelerating in December for the balance of the year. We expect those costs to increases previous uh, costs to increase versus our previous estimates. Like most economists, we anticipate supply chain disruptions will continue for the foreseeable future. We have already taken price action this fiscal year, and we have additional pricing actions planned through the balance of the year. This was on February 1st. So what he, he's basically saying is Omicron exacerbated supply chain issues and they, they they're they're, try, they're trying to keep up and they're going to likely raise prices and they already have so far so uh, they're reacting to the higher input costs now sony group says we continue to be unable to fully meet market demand in multiple categories due to severe limitations on supply of components and the chips for the most part is what he's talking about and then amd We have made a mode of demand is larger than supply. Although we made a lot of progress through 2021 and I expect to make more progress, really incremental capacity will come online through 2022, especially in the second half. But we're definitely working on getting more supply as we get through the year. So it's AMD, Advanced Micro Devices, and that kind of links to their topic tomorrow. And this is a theme that you're going to start to see. And I've been saying this for a little while now. It's basically, hey, while... Chip shortages. Well, they're still there to some degree. They have been easing, and you're likely to see an oversupply, overcapacity of chips by the uh, the end of the year as goods demand goes down, and you finally get, like AMD is saying, that new supply of chips coming on market, and so that's going to be a, a big factor there. Even GM is saying that that they're putting uh, their their might behind semiconductor uh, production, and trying to get that moving forward as well. Ford also saying similar things when it comes to semiconductors. Now, Amazon's talking about supply chain issues, and how they uh, that brought a lot of production ahead. And they're working with vendors to secure inventory early, and, and, and in some cases, paid early, so that they can avoid any supply chain issues going forward. So those were the, the, the main concerns, I, I think, for uh, big tech CEOs, uh, trying to get chips. And that's going to likely lead to oversupply, which we'll talk about more uh, tomorrow, but dealing, dealing with supply chain issues, trying to get inventory in earlier, and then raising prices to deal with the inflation. Now, this is Invest Talk, and let's keep things moving and swing back to our iTunes review questions. Jeff from Alabama says, I would like to get your analysis and good entry point for a 2.6% position in BTI. It's something we do on for clients. This company would be added to my dividend growth and income portfolio. And this is a name that uh was out of favor for a long period of time, and we were buying it because it's just really very very cheap, especially down where its fifty two week low was around thirty three dollars a share now it's up uh right near its fifty two week high at forty four dollars per share so it's rallied dramatically over the past few months and it's supposed to earn four dollars and eighty cents a share this year it's only forty four dollars stock so you're talking about uh trading about nine multiple revenues growing eleven percent year over year, and we still We still like it. It's uh, one of our our favorite names in in the value space, consumer staples space, just simply because it has such great value and consistent dividend that they've been raising over time. And if you look at their return on equity, return on invested capital, it remains consistently robust. The return on equity average over the last decade, mm, uh, 30% or so on average. Uh, Now it's dipped down in the last few years, but it is uh, back on the rise. And its cash flow, free cash flow, is around seven point eight billion, and its market cap is about a hundred billion. So nice seven seven point eight percent free cash flow yield. It is, uh, yeah, it has raised its dividend consistently. Two thousand eleven, they, they paid eleven dollar dollar nineteen. Now it's two dollars and fourteen cents a share. So uh, we're a fan of BTI. Uh, on any modest pullback, I would be picking it up because I think it is still cheap. Now let's squeeze in another caller question here. And it came in earlier at eight 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 ninety nine chart
1: Hi, Steve. Uh, Justin, this is Sade from Ontario, Canada. I have a question about ticker symbol TGT target. I'm having this in my radar and looking to buy. Just want to know what's the right price. Is it the uh, right price to enter? If you could advise, that would be great. Thank you.
2: Bye. All right, looking at Target, I don't think anybody uh, needs an explanation of what Target does. They have uh, almost 19, 000, 1900 stores, excuse me, throughout the US. And let's take a look at some of its historical statistics. Now, it's been uh, definitely a benefit to them in the pandemic. And once again, goods demand. That is extremely important for you to understand when you're looking at different companies. Are they providing goods? Have that, those goods been in high demand during the pandemic? And is that demand for goods Ebbing. And the answer for target is absolutely true. And you're seeing that with the recent uh, the recent earnings, they were growing their profits or the revenues in the low 20% range uh, through 2020 and into early 2021. And the last couple quarters, that's decelerated to 13% last year, last quarter and 10% the quarter before that, and earnings only grew in the single digits, the last two quarters as well. So pre-pandemic they were making five dollars and thirty nine cents. Twenty twenty made six dollars and thirty nine cents. Nine dollars and forty two cents last year. Expected to make thirteen dollars and twenty two cents this year. The problem is, is those earnings estimates are coming down. They're coming down rapidly along with the stock, which is down now down twenty percent from its fifty two week high. And let's see if this has gotten a bounce. Yeah. Still, this is this is kind of similar to uh, that Airbnb. I think it was Airbnb, what I talked about earlier, that, that got the, the very minor bounce. This is the same thing. It's still below the, the, the 20-day moving average, trending lower, lower highs, lower lows. And if you look at the multiples, it's trading at enterprise value to even about uh, uh, nine times. And that's still relatively elevated. Over the last decade or so, it's traded closer to six or seven times. Historically, and is even going to come down now that there's going to be headwinds from less demand for goods? Most likely. Now, the good thing is they don't have a lot of debt, but it's just uh, too expensive in my book i think this needs to come down uh, our value on target is closer to $155 per share it's at 216 today so uh, it needs to come in yeah mid hundreds then it'll be interesting cuz it's a, it's a good company uh, it's just going to face some headwinds in the near term and you don't want to be in front of that when it revalues back to its historical norm which is probably 20 30% lower than it is right now Now, February is well underway, and the new year is moving along what feels like a fast pace. And the question is, are you keeping up? Did you panic in January when the market was kind of melting down? And did you miss this recent rally? Are you able to keep your emotions in check? Is your portfolio experiencing too high a volatility for what you feel comfortable with? Well, if you need help with that, I encourage you. To reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, based in Irvine, California. And it's where we practice parallel investing, meaning we invest right alongside our clients. And... We get the same with the same philosophy, which is independent thinking and shared success. we want to bring you along in our success. That's why we do that parallel investing. And then we think differently. We're not Kramer. We're not banging bells and whistles. We're using a top down and bottom up approach to building portfolios, building strategies for clients and making sure that uh, th- those strategies are are successful and they fit their risk tolerance level. So if you need help and you want to reach out and take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meetings, just send a message over at through investtalk.com or call our office at 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you in any way. Next up, I will provide my unbiased answers to another caller question. So hang on.
0: Should you have a trust? And if so, what type of trust? On Thursday's Invest Talk program and podcast, Justin Klein will play an interview he recorded with two trust experts. They have more than 30 years of experience in advising high net worth clients regarding complex trust and estate planning issues, as well as business, real estate, and charitable planning. What is a charitable remainder trust, a CRT? What are the biggest downsides or drawbacks to a CRT? learn the answers to these questions and many more in a special interview this thursday february 10th on invest talk and now the phone lines are open justin and steve welcome your calls invest talk 888-99-CHART
1: hey guys love the show i was calling to see what you guys think of rtlr it's Rattler midstream lp i own a small portion. just wanted to know if it's worth keeping or getting rid of it. Thanks for your help.
2: All right. Looking at RTLR, and this is an MLP, uh, Master Limited Partnership. And so what you have to understand is your dividends, which you know, it looks like you're getting an 8% dividend. It's not taxed like a normal dividend. It's taxed at your ordinary income tax rate. If you earn more than $1,000 per year in an IRA or 401k, then you have to file separate tax returns. That's more of a pain in the butt. So, be cognizant of that when you're looking at Illumina partnerships. So you get that 8% dividend yield, but it's businesses kind of all over the place. It, it does have a good amount of debt on its balance sheet. Let's take a look at that there. Yeah. So Mark caps about 1.8 billion enterprise value at 3.1. So net about $1.3 billion in debt on its balance sheet. Historically it trades at about, uh, let's see. Uh, two, two and a half times uh, sales, now it's at four and a half times, so it is a, a bit expensive here. I like the space as a whole, but my issue is just the, the longer term profitability. It's it's not that fantastic, and so uh, I think you have better options within the, the energy space. I would probably sell it and move to something that's more in the production side of the ledger. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom, and our work continues after this final break. So give us a call at 888 99Chart.
0: You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions, 888-99-CHART.
3: I wanted to see
1: if a company I currently own and plan to hold is a good solid company. My question is about Corning, ticker symbol GLW. They're an interesting company in that they seem to profit from both technology and industrial sectors. They're a major glass producer, They make Gorilla Glass for iPhones, as well as fiber optics for 5G, but they might be most recognized for inventing Pyrex in the 50s. So they've been around for a while. I just wanted to get your opinion on GLW to see if you would consider it to be a solid company to hold for the long term. Thanks for your help.
2: Are looking at Corning, GLW is the symbol, and color is correct. It is fairly well diversified industrial company, thirty-six billion dollar market cap, and it increases its earnings pretty consistently every year. Dollar forty in twenty fifteen. And every year I see 2019 it dipped down from $1.78 dollar seventy eight to dollar seventy six then 2020 naturally went down to dollar thirty nine but 2021 last year earned two dollars and seven cents a share, two dollars and thirty five cents a share expected this year and another 2 sixty seven next year. So I like its consistent growth. obviously you have year- to year hiccups, but overall there there's nice uh, nice steady growth there pays a dividend, although that dividend is yeah, pays a dividend and it's been it's been increasing it. Pretty much every year as well, even through the pandemic. So I like that uh, free cash flow solid. Their profitability metrics, return on equity, return on assets, aren't aren't fantastic. They kind of average the high single digits over the last decade or so. So that's probably my biggest problem with with the name is that uh, it's just not a super high margin business, but it's consistent and it is a good long term uh, earner uh, and, and and business now from a valuation perspective it's about fairly value it's currently trading at about nine ten times enterprise value to EBITDA which is right around its its long-term average it was drastically overvalued in late 2020 but that's kind of been been worked off and if you look at the chart it is it it, it started to peak uh, in the spring of last year around let's see forty seven dollars and then it Bottomed around 34 just a few weeks ago. Now it's about 43, and that's about fair value. Uh, so it's good company, not cheap, not expensive, not blowing the socks off uh, anyone when it comes to its performance. But I like its consistency, and like you said, it has a it's it's well diversified, has a lot of uh, a lot of irons in the pot when it comes to the industrial space, and uh, I like uh, Corning overall long term. Now, let's quickly, lastly, go to prices. And we know prices have been going up. But for everyday items, prices are becoming more and more like airline tickets and even gasoline. When we know airlines for a lot, long time, this has unlocked a lot of their profitability, is dynamic pricing. It reads where you're where, where your uh, logging in, uh, your IP address, your search history, et cetera. And it's giving you a different price than somebody else who might be uh, in a county over looking at uh, the same airline tickets. And so they've been able to use dynamic pricing to expand their, their profits. And a lot of other industries are starting to adopt the same thing as well. So it's not just online. It's smaller retailers that are spending on pricier technology so they can update price, uh, prices more rapidly. And really, what they're trying to do is just keep up with changes from their suppliers. But typically, these are strategies from Amazon and Walmart, uh, but they're They're expanding. Quick Lizard, a company that sells software to help retailers automate their pricing strategy, says 75% of the roughly 100 retailers on its platform uh, increased how frequently they're, they're updating prices in the past year, with nearly a third changing prices, set prices several times a day. That's up from 15% a year ago, so over doubled that total amount. And uh, you're going to see this more often. It's just a quicker... Easier ways for these retailers to update prices and keep up with uh, a more inflationary environment. Uh, And that in and of itself is likely to keep inflation uh, elevated as well. So you're starting to see this inflation become a little bit more embedded into the economy. And that's another factor that's likely to mean higher than average inflation over the longer term. Less than where it is today, but higher than where we were pre-pandemic. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. And it's official. We have now surpassed 38.5 million thanks to you. Get yours anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. And if you leave a question with your review, we will prioritize that answer. In thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night.